So I think this is still the Concast. I, I can't actually remember anymore. Um, Laz, do you have any clue as to whether this is the Concast? I don't know. I just signed on to my PC and answered this Skype call. We're Concasting again? <laughs> I, I suppose. Uh, this is certainly the uh, longest hiatus that we've had heretofore. And I haven't gotten a single email of complaint. Ouch. I don't, I don't think you've gotten a single email of compliment either, though, so. Fair. Very fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we do have some, uh, folks hopefully joining us soon. Uh, we actually booked more people than we normally would have. And, and we yeah, ended up with two. We ended up with two. Uh, we, we've got Gabe joining us very quickly, so that'll be happening pretty soon. Um, and then we may have a, you know, surprise show up at some point. Right? Something like that. Well, it would be a surprise if he showed up, but it wouldn't be a surprise if he showed up late. So I don't, I don't know what, level, I don't know what level of surprise I should be experiencing right now. So whatever, here we are, and we got, and we got, you know, video games we could be talking about. You want, you want to try some of that? Yeah. Hey, why not? What you playing? Um, at a bunch of games as usual, but uh, I very recently, just maybe a little over two weeks ago, bought a little gadget called a 3DS and it's and I've enjoyed it quite a bit so far. I played the first solid week of my first solid week of owning it was me playing Zelda Link Between Worlds and then the past 10 days after beating that has been all bravely default. That's two good choices. Yeah, it's they were games that I sort of knew I wanted. I mean, one was a Zelda game in the vein of Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, which are my two favorite Zelda games, and the other one and another one is a turn-based RPG from Square Enix with a deep, fun class system, which sounds like a game I absolutely needed to play. And I like Bravely Default a lot. Exploring its uh, class system and going through the basic story was a lot of fun. But now I'm in a part of the story where I have no idea what the hell to think at all. <laughs> it, um, I, I don't know how much you've heard about the story of Bravely Default, but the word on the street that's 100% accurate, is that the game has a major change in chapter... F- when you first reach chapter 5, and the game has 8 chapters, so that's basically the halfway point. And it, once you, like, play through part of chapter 5, you'll either be so hooked that you're finishing it, or you will be ready to just take the game out forever, because it is so strange and has a, a couple weird design decisions that I'm not sure are great design decisions in chapter 5. Should I go into greater detail, or should I avoid spoilers and just keep saying it's weird? I think weird is good for Okay, it's, uh, it's it's very weird, but um, can I... Uh, one thing I've heard descri- be described the game, can I uh, use a slightly spoilerific reference as a description, or should I avoid that too? Spoiler for what? I'll just say it, alright? Ah. This game is the Groundhog Day of RPGs. Interesting. That is all I'm saying. That is it. And I like it. I featuring really the voice like talents of Andy McDowell. Oh, I wish the voice. The, the English voices are kind of annoying. The, the, the main cast, you know, this is the easiest way to tell if you will like Bravely Default is if you liked Final Fantasy three and Final Fantasy five, uh, NES Final Fantasy three and Final Fantasy five, because it is a hundred percent like those games. Because you have four okay. character, you have four characters. They're maybe a little annoying, a little generic, but. Uh, the class system is awesome, and it ha- and there are tons of references to both of those games in this. I mean, it, it, I think every single class in Final in uh, 
in Bravely Default, with the possible exception of the vampire class, has an analog in FF3 or FF5. And the vampire is basically a blue mage that can also drain people's HP and MP. And that's pretty- oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I think, you know, if I had the wherewithal and desire to get a 3DS, you're definitely playing the first two games that I would buy on it. Yeah, I got a really good deal on it. It was a, uh, combining a couple Best Buy deals, I got the 3DS and three games I wanted for it. The third game is Mario and Luigi Dream Team, which I've started and, but not gone super deep into. I got those, a 3DS, XL, and those three for about 200 bucks. Which was basically, the, the price was right. Yeah. Yes. And I've already gotten probably a good 50 hours between those first two games. Wow. Cause, um, Link Between Worlds is really good, but it's not long. I think I finished it in maybe 15 hours. Definitely less than 20. Sounds about right. But it was, it, it, that's a great Zelda game. If you like those, like the first four Zelda games where, with the top-down action and navigating a, Richly detailed world. You need to play that thing. It's great. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, Link to the Past and Awakening are my two favorite Zelda games by far. So it certainly appeals to me in that way. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I don't have that system and probably won't. Um, however, what I do have is a Wii U. So I've been playing the snot out of uh, Marocrat 8. That is a system I do not have, and that is one of the first games I would get if I were it to is, have it. It is one of the first games that you should get. I, I have played, uh, let's see, I bought the SNES one the week it came out, if that tells you anything as to how far back I go with Marocrat games. But I've played, and either played and or owned, whatever, uh, SNES, 64, um, GBA, DS, Wii, and... Now Wii U, and I will say unequivocally that the Wii U Marocrat is the best one there okay. is. You never uh, played you never played the GameCube one? No, I never had a chance to play a GameCube. But yeah, I Marocrat eight is I, I would call it the definitive Marocrat. It's it's not perfect and uh there's some of the things that have been there for a while, like the cheesiness of um what items your opponents get when you're winning races, things like that. The, those things still persist, and they're still annoying. But uh, it is absolutely gorgeous. The new tracks, I can't think of many new tracks that I don't like. Um, there are some phenomenal um, retro tracks in there. Uh, N64 Rainbow Road is one of the retro tracks. Nice. Um, TikTok Clock from DS is a retro track. And that was my favorite new track in the DS. Yeah, it's it's a great track. I love it too. Uh, I've actually been playing the DS version a little bit while I've been traveling as well. I don't know. Um, I've I've it's, always it's been always a fan of the original Super Nintendo one. I've tried newer ones like the GameCube one that you were talking about earlier, Les, and it's just I don't know. It, there's something just not there. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing that is not there and hasn't been for a while is an enjoyable battle mode. Right. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I, I haven't liked the battle mode in ages. Uh, the the th- SNES one is still the absolute perfect yes. one, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but the last thing I'll say about Marocrat before I move on to the other game I'm playing is that even the retro tracks, because of the new uh, anti-grav stuff they've added for Marocrat 8, the retro tracks, they they didn't just 
plop them into the game like they have in some of the previous games. They actually have changed them significantly to take use of the new functionality. Oh. So anti-grav, the ability to hang glide, things oh, like yeah, that. The, yeah, the transforming and parts. A couple times when I was first playing through um, in single player, a couple times I'd hit a retro track and I'd be like, this feels so familiar, but I don't understand <laughs> it. And it would be a SNES donut planes. <laughs> and I'd have to look and say, oh, well, here's the, the uh, red, green, yellow, blue blocks making the borders. Here's a bridge that's got some pieces missing out of it. Yes, this is a SNES track, but you can't tell. It, it, it's, re- it's really refreshing. But the, the second game that I'm playing, because I have been traveling recently, and that means that is the time where I actually dust off my handhelds, um, I finally started Final Fantasy III for my DS uh, the other day. <laughs> oh, um, good. The, the, so basically, you're playing almost the same game I'm playing. Yeah, that, that's why when you mentioned Bravely Default, I said, "Oh, yes, that will dovetail very nicely, and it'll dovetail our, with our topic, which we'll get to in just a minute." Uh, now that game's right. here, but um, yeah, I, there's some definite stuff that is not cool about it that I don't remember noticing when I was playing 4DS. And I don't know if I just wasn't noticing it or it was actually less obtrusive. But um, the battles drag so badly in 3DS because they they start up and then we've got this nice little camera pan before it locks into position before you can pick your uh, actions. And then it'll pan back out while the actions are executed and then it'll slowly pan back in to do the next round and then when you get to the end of the battle it slowly pans back to your party and wow. it's like oh my god this takes forever I don't have time for this uh, and I, I don't specifically remember that from when I played FF3 on the DS but that sounds like some early PS2 late PS1 like bad cinema uh, uh, a lot of bad cinema camera so, stuff showing off the uh, technology what the 3DS is capable of. That's why it's cut a lot out of the uh, Final Fantasy 4DS version, where it kind of gets right into it, because you know we've already played that style of game. We don't need to see the camera swirling around again. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I think I thought the FF3 uh, DS version was all right, mostly because the it's kind of hard to play. Let's go back to the Famicom version, even if you find a good, uh, totally illegal translation. <laughs> But yeah. it <laughs> which which I did a long long time ago and I couldn't As did get, I. I couldn't get into that game and I do find myself getting into this one a little bit though it is hard to pick up a retro final fantasy that you've never played before and go and play it now I I found myself getting absolutely slaughtered in the second town because I didn't bother to talk to everybody because you know in a lot of the newer games say 10 onward why bother talking to everybody in the town? <laughs> it's not like it was back in the past where you need that information. So I skipped a couple of the buildings in the second town and said, oh, here's a cave. I bet I need to go examine this cave to move forward. I take two steps in and I get slaughtered. I reload, I take two steps in, I get slaughtered again. Finally, I've started talking to all the townspeople and it turns out that I don't need to be there. I need to be moving on to another place right now and I'll come back to this one later. And... You know, that was a definite facepalm when I realized that, yeah, Final Fantasy has changed in the last 20 years, and I didn't remember that. I think you've grown too used to uh, quest markers over the years. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah, mini-maps and quest markers have... Uh, modern RPG players are spoiled by them, I, I feel. I, if I'm playing... I'm, uh, the past couple games I've played that have those kind of things, I spend more time looking at the map and the icons on the map than the actual you know, screen where the action is taking place. And that's 
it's it's different <laughs> than actually than actually having to thoroughly explore the uh, possibility spaces of each game. And yeah, that's something you wouldn't find in an older game unless it's the seventh saga. But we're not talking about that, nor should we. Unless Caesar, unless Caesar was yeah, here. Yeah, unless PJ shows up. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, Gabe, can you give us uh, just a couple quick minutes about what you're playing, and then I'm going to actually loop Stilts in and see if his uh, current living situation allows him to participate. Oh yeah, <laughs> listeners, I don't know if you realize this. Uh, that third voice that entered in about ten minutes ago was our friend Gabe. Hello. I, Gabe's been here before. Everybody yeah. knows Gabe. As, as far as what I've been playing, I'm kind of in between games right now. Um, summer vacation, you know, I, I'm a teacher, so when summer vacation first came out, I was like, oh, I have all this time to play these games. So I started with Diablo 3, but then I got bored with that. Then I downloaded some other stuff on Steam, got bored with that. Then I started back up with Mercenary Kings, which is another Steam game that I got, and bored with that. Then I went back to Hearthstone, which I haven't played in a while. Got bored with that. Um, right now, one of the games I've really been into is Shovel Knight. Oh, uh, Shovel, Shovel Knight great. is an absolutely amazing game. Um, I have not played a game like that since I was probably seven or eight years old on my super on my regular Nintendo. Uh, I've heard ahead. a lot of buzz about this game, but I don't actually know anything about it really, other I, than it's buzzy right now. So what, I what, was, what's the deal? I was playing Shovel Knight until I got my 3DS and got dis- and got distracted by Zelda and Bravely Default. But yeah, go ahead, Gabe, tell us. Well, basically, if you ever played either any Mega Man game, DuckTales for Nintendo, um, Castlevania, any sort of just regular platformer on, on the NES, you've played what Shovel- the essence of Shovel Knight is. It's it's an amazing game, and I really suggest everyone give it a try. It's on the Wii U, it's on 3DS, it's on Steam. And while they've released a base game, they're going to be releasing even more as far as how well their stretch goals did on Kickstarter. So there's more to offer. It's not done yet. Shovel Knight's great. You should play it. <laughs> uh, trademark Laz. Yeah, that's. I, I say that after everything it- you play. Everybody, Stilts has now joined us. You'll remember him from about 18 months ago when we did our last Concast. Yeah, so now we've got our full complement of four. We'll go right into the real topic. We want to talk about what makes a retro game a retro game, especially when you're talking about a franchise that both has the history and the future of something like a Final Fantasy. And the thing that brought this to my mind was the fact that I am old. I am extremely old. I was almost 10 years old when we first saw Final Fantasy in the United States, which is something I've talked about before, but I, it's a it's a touchstone here because what I consider to be a retro Square slash Square Enix game is not what a lot of people would anymore, and that's the kind of thing that I've seen running con for so long is that every few years you kind of end up with a new nucleus of people and the things that they consider to be retro or, you know, blast from the past, to use that horrible cliched phrase, are completely different from what I would say. You know, obviously retro to me means Final Fantasy 1, as it should to everybody, because it is objectively old. Um, things like the Final Fantasy Legend games, uh, the, the original oh, sagas. Oh, God, yes. You know, I, I have nostalgia <laughs> for those, because I played them a long time ago, and those, those are... are those are hard to go back to is what they are. <laughs> they are that. It's a, actually almost a shame 
that uh, DP couldn't make it today because he reminds me of this more frequently <laughs> than anybody. He's a lot younger than the rest of us. I'm in my mid-30s. Um, you other guys are rapidly approaching 30, whether you want to oh, admit yeah. it or not. Uh, <laughs> oh, misery loves the, company, boys. Welcome to the Caves of Narsh Sadcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm caves happy. Narsh uh, retirement home. I, I'm doing just fine. You know, you guys... Can Let's examine the Ebola outbreak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've done that some in my house recently. It's It's not that entertaining. But so, yeah, and you guys, you know, may have a slightly different feel for what makes a game retro than I would. Uh, not quite as much as, you know, somebody who we might have listening who's in their teens right now. Uh, but I want to talk about those? that. Well... I'd like to think so. We, sure, have, a, okay. we have broad demographics. Well, do we have people listening, or do we have people in the teens? I think Gabe has some of the teens locked in his basement. Oh, I don't know if he makes them listen. <laughs> oh, are they sleeping? Gotta go, everybody. Cop uh, from my door. But, you know, what there is to talk about in this is a lot of us have a different expectation of what we consider modern gaming versus retro. Uh, and what we see as a game that gives us great nostalgia, you know, for me it's Final Fantasy 1 or maybe 4 for SNES gives me the most feeling of nostalgia. Uh, for, let's say, let's just pretend that Gabe started playing later, because he did. Uh, you know, maybe it's 6 or even 9 for him. I, I know it's not 9, Gabe, don't worry. It changes the way that we interact with each other as gamers. We, we share this common hobby, but we come at it from very different angles. And I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about how we can all, well, how do we all get along, by golly? That <laughs> don't really. That's your topic. Well, there, there you go. There's something to talk about right there, isn't it? Um, Final Fantasy VI was my first role-playing game. Up until then, I would watch my uncle and my brother play because I was so afraid of my characters dying. I just couldn't handle that responsibility. Like, oh my gosh, you know, you can go to Get use a phoenix down or a spell to resurrect it, but just that pressure. Um, I finally got over it. I had it. that same problem. Yeah, That's I don't so know weird. what it is. Uh, but I finally get chance to play Final Fantasy VI. Fell in love with it. Now I had watched them play my my brother and uncle play Final Fantasy IV and um, well Final Fantasy II at the time. Um, watched him play all these other old titles, Final Fantasy One. So I had an idea of what an RPG was, what classic gaming was. You know, I grew up with regular Mario and Duck Hunt and all that stuff. So um, retro gaming is, is something that's very dear in my heart, you know, the 8-bit and the 16-bit. Um, but as far as a cutoff for retro gaming, I was just thinking about this where, let's take the Final Fantasy series, for example. Um, a lot of people will say that Final Fantasy VII is where the turning point really happened, where... It became mainstream, introduced all these new gamers to the whole JRPG genre. Yeah, they had a big elaborate story with all these cutscenes and everything, but if you look at it, when I look at it, um, that turning point as far as retro for me actually happened in Final Fantasy VI. I think that's when it kind of stopped being retro for me, because if they had technology, um, you could just imagine what kind of story that would turn out to be. It didn't really go from point A to point B. It went from point A from A to Z with all the side quests, the opera cut scene that they had. Um, just imagine technology they had for seven available for six. It would have been much bigger. So retro gaming for me kind of stopped at like Final Fantasy four and before, just because it was very straight through gaming that you could just sit down and enjoy a story. 
And, and speaking of gamers that don't understand the concept of retro, uh, I'm going to call out here that for those that don't know, Final Fantasy V wasn't always here. So <laughs> that is why Gabe can draw a line between Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI without having to care. Also, apparently he can suck down a big gulp. I, it's water. It's oh. going to be healthy. <laughs> for me, I think sort of going from what uh, was said at the start regarding uh, retro and nostalgia, uh, you seem to sort of draw a distinct connection between the two that retro games are for you also nostalgic games. Um, for me, I mean, I think I've mentioned in previous podcasts my route in Final Fantasy started with 7, 8, 9, 6, 4, 5, 10, and then onwards. And, and for me, obviously, the nostalgic games are the ones I played first. So 7, 8, and 9 are the ones that bring out the real nostalgia for me. But that doesn't, ch- but that for me is a discrete aspect. The retro games to me are still the earlier games in the canon. So one to six. And that, to be honest, is probably where I do draw it. For me, I don't know. Retro for me, I've never really felt of retro as being so much about the game play as the game style and the game design. So for me, there is very much a, a, a distinct connection between 8-bit and 16-bit and retro, um, which obviously is, is, is a slightly different angle to the ones you guys have mentioned before. Um, and maybe it's one that I've not really thought about previously. But Well, I'm actually going to jump in again here real quick just for another uh, point of clarification. Um, it's interesting that you brought up that timeline specifically because you are the uh, British representative today, and you did not get any of these games until 7. While while the Americans did get a little bit limited uh, on what we got, obviously we didn't get two or three right away, we didn't get five, Uh, we did get the others. And it was not actually possible to go to the shop around the corner and pick up a game for you until Final Fantasy VII came out. That's true. And, you know, I I guess the point that you can take from that is that it's not only a question of what order you played the games in, or, uh, you know, when you started playing the games in terms of a chronological year, it might also have something to do with where you started playing the games. May I guess, yeah, that would that would certainly affect your, you know, timeline of experiencing these and uh, where you feel the most nostalgia. I mean, it's, it depends on your age and time and place. And for me, I experienced them roughly chronologically, FF4 which I thought was two, was my first one, and I played FF1 soon after, and I m- more or less went through them in order. But I, when I think of the term retro specifically, I don't really marry it to nostalgia so much as how the game looks. Because for me, I mean, the the real jump that in Final Fantasy was the one that Josh alluded to earlier, right from six to seven, because it was going from the from increasingly detailed sprite work from one through three to increasingly detailed polygons from seven onward. And because that jump was so almost jarring, even though seven's polygons look like ass today, <laughs> uh, I I sort of associate that sprite look with retro games, and even though I have played many sprite-based RPGs made after, say, say after 2012, like uh, 
Cthulhu Saves the World and uh, Shovel Knight and Rogue Legacy. Uh, those games feel retro to me because they come, bring to mind 8 and 16-bit games that were all about sprites moving through a grid. Maybe they even... It, it, it's weird how retro has almost become its own genre, that how a lot of games, especially games made by by small groups or funded by Kickstarter, um, are really attempting to mine gamers' nostalgia by going for a specific retro look. And games, are, some games are very successful at this, others aren't. But that that's really what retro is to me. That just just watching sprites move across a screen, that spritey look. I think uh, yeah, it's, the games um, that you had mentioned also do kind of have a nice gateway effect where people are like, "Wow, it was a great game." Where can I find more of these? And it helps introduce sure. them into the back catalog of like, oh, well, now I have to play 4 and 6 and, and uh, that, 5. Now that we have resources like the Nintendo's Virtual Console and uh, the PlayStation Network where you can get every Final Fantasy game basically between those two services, people have access, legal access to those older games. Uh, it's interesting because first, I think... You know, the four of us being relatively close in age. I, I think we did kind of come down all in generally the same place. Uh, you know, Stilts does raise a good point about, uh, you know, whether you can divorce the concept of retro from your own personal nostalgia or not. But we, for whatever reasons, we all did kind of come down on the, well, we consider retro Final Fantasy games to be either six and below or in one case, technically five and below. Um, that makes it very easy for the four of us, say, to interact with each other on that level. We're all coming from that same origin point. But we don't all, you know, not all of our gamer friends or family come from that same point where they can draw that conclusion. Uh, and again, you know, shame on DP for not showing up. He probably could have brought more to this than usual, and I'll make sure to remind him of that when I see him again. But uh, for, un- for unacquainted listeners, DP is, I think, twenty-four years old. Oh and no, no, not quite. Okay, he's, he's twenty. He's twenty-two or twenty-three. He's twenty-two. Yeah. And his, Twelve. And his, and his yeah, first, his first Final Fantasy game was FF10 for the PS2. Yeah. So in lieu of having him here, I, I will use uh, my brother-in-law, who is uh, one of the gamers that I interact with most in real life. He is uh, really not. He's not too far in difference in age from you guys. Really, he's uh, twenty six now, twenty seven, and. Um, the thing is, is that he's not a RPG gamer at all, and his first system was an N64. And I find that sometimes, not just in terms of talking about RPGs, because we don't do that that often, but in terms of talking about gaming as an overall concept, um, we sometimes find ourselves coming from very, very different places when you consider that, you know, the first FPS he played was Goldeneye. The, uh, the first one I played would have been Wolfenstein 3D. When you guys come across something like that, you know, you're, you're talking to a little cousin or somebody at con, you know, how do you find that you can bridge that gap? And this also comes into play with what Gabe was just saying in terms of the, uh, the gateway game. You know, if you play something like a um, Penny Arcade Adventures and say, oh, look at this clever side setup pixelated battle scene. That's kind of neat. That reminds me of something. I've seen screenshots of something like this. I should go figure out what that was and go play it. And it turns out, say, it's Final Fantasy IV. But how do you interact with somebody that hasn't made that jump yet? Uh, you know, we're a little bit too old for this, but when I would be getting introduced to the games, a lot of it's just 
watching your friend play it, sitting there, hey, come and watch this for a second. And uh, that would kind of introduce me to some of the games that uh, I'm interested into now. So, you know, and that actually, not again, not with RPGs, but, you know, I had a lot of that with my older brother, who's considerably older than I am, uh, 13 years. Yeah, the, there's a lot of that. I think that is a good way of bridging that gap going downward. I wonder if that's easy for everybody, or if everybody even has that opportunity. Right. Mm. I, I think it depends on sort of how you come into it. Um, I mean, I think... Uh, like Gabe says, uh, a, a lot of it for us has certainly always been you. You sort of get into games. You 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 watch your friends play the games, and then you go and play the games. Um, that's how I got into Seven. Um, a friend had it, and I was round his house, and he was playing it, and it looked incredible. And I then jumped headlong into Final Fantasy, um, and sort of digested every single thing I could find. Um, my brother is four years younger than me, so um, I haven't really had that thing with the older brother where I've sat watching my older brother play games, but my younger brother has definitely had that with me. I've played all sorts, he's watched me play them, and now he's old enough and and he's got his own consoles and he's doing his own thing. He's sort of taken the, the game series that he watched me play, he's borrowed my games, he's played them himself, and he's sort of dived off on his own his own route as a result. Um, so that, that, that seems to be the way everybody sort of does it. I mean, it's interesting to wonder whether that's how it still carries on, because we're all going from our, our own memories, um, and without wanting to sound like a geriatric, um, mm. there's no guarantee that that is how it's going to go on in the modern, because everything's all online multiplayer now. But I think there's got to still be an element of that, where um, you, you get into things because your, your older friends or your older brothers show you what is like? You know, you just mentioned uh, how it is mo- in in those modern times. If they could fix it to make it, you know, actually worthwhile, PlayStation Now would be a great example of how would people get into this. If it's actually, if it, they could turn into like a rental service where you pay a fee and you get a certain amount of games that month for free, that would be a better way to introduce people into other games. Right now, the with the way it's built, it's not really feasible. With the pace, uh, the pay scale they have. That's, that's interesting because, you know, what we're, what we've been describing is kind of a, a face to face connection with people that we, you know, know and or trust. I wonder how much that even works now because so much of even familial conversation has moved into the online sphere. And that would end up almost relating to con. Um, we don't have necessarily a ton of people coming in who come in with Final Fantasy XII as their favorite game in the series, or the only one they've played. Final uh, Fantasy XII was nine years ago. Yeah, well... <laughs> uh, okay, uh, there aren't people that come in with thirteen two as their... <laughs> uh, I'm just messing. Yeah, no, but that's actually a pretty valid point to make. Um if 13.2 was your first Final Fantasy, would you go looking for more Final Fantasy? No, no, no. Hey, 13.2 <laughs> is awesome. I would like to think that I have given people the true light of what retro is by running con. That's what I'd like to think, anyway. Keeping retro that, alive. I, other than that, I don't think that I have ever necessarily converted somebody in that way. 
You know, I, I know, I can remember back when Final Fantasy VII came out, and I played it with a couple guys in college. I just want, I wonder which is more common, whether the new breed can be turned on to the retro, or whether you already have to be predisposed to take it on, and, you know, somebody showing you something isn't necessarily going to, you know, kick you over that edge. I think you maybe need the predisposition, like you say, because I've had the similar experience where I've sort of I've I've, I've found friends who are who are into the, the 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 new ones that were coming out when we were kids and sort of nine and and, and ten, um, and uh, they were really into the, the PlayStation era of of Final Fantasy, but I don't think they really followed me down the rabbit hole with the one to six. Um, the only one I've really had any success with that on is my brother because he didn't have a choice. Uh, <laughs> it was my, I was playing on the PlayStation and I was going to play those games, so he basically got brainwashed. Um, my, my 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 other friends who I didn't really have that level of control over don't seem to have followed suit. So I think you do have to have the the curiosity or the predisposition or just the the quirk of fate to be extremely bored slash curious and have it land in your lap. Which also probably works better when you're slightly younger than what mm. any of us are. I know that I was certainly were I certainly had the more boredom and the more opportunity when I was a preteen or a teenager than I that I do have now. I'm, I guess Something else that's come to mind during the course of this conversation that I find interesting, kind of drawn the line similarly. We don't have anybody on the Comcast right now that would draw the line perhaps at 10, like we know that DP would. Um, that's because he's wrong. Well, yes, he is objectively wrong, but that, that's not the point <laughs> I'm trying to make here. Consider that you might run into somebody in this scenario. They say anything older than Final Fantasy X is something I don't really want to play because I've seen it and I intend looks so much better and you know it looks it seems so much more exciting and or you get somebody that says if it doesn't have 3D models it just looks rickety and it drags on and it's so slow. How can you even play that? How many times am, how many times am I allowed to have slapped them already? Um well, I will say once, but okay. I will say that you should have been doing it with a cartridge or a disc of a game of your choice. And that's the question. <laughs> what, what, what game is that to get over that objection? I think it's got to depend on the person. I mean, yeah, if, we're talking, I, if we're talking Final Fantasy games, I think which may perhaps be a, a good thing for us to talk about in a Final Fantasy Meh. podcast... Um, I think you're not going to win somebody over by from, you know, the current gen sort of 10, 12, 13 of Final Fantasy. You're not going to win them over to the retro games by getting them to sit down and play Final Fantasy or Final Fantasy 2. If anything, you're going to reinforce their entire worldview. You've got to go in, you've got to go in with four or six. You've, you've just got to. And then basically, tie them to the chair until they've played enough of four or six to get over their stupid misconceptions and realise they're incredible games. At which point they might be open to thinking about maybe three or five and uh, then hopefully they'll try one and two and not get really badly disappointed in the end. Well, I, f I find it difficult 
for anyone to play two and not be disappointed. But I, <laughs> but I admit, exactly. I, 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 I dislike that game strongly, even though I know a number of people do and do like it. I think it goes back to a point that you stilts made a minute ago that it depends on the person. So I think first there'd have to be some kind of interview, like, hey, what do you look for in a game? What's your favorite part about RPGs? And just sort of figure out the best Final Fantasy from that. If if they like, you know, sort of big picture themes and uh, maybe sort of darker, slightly like uh, darker, almost sort of future punk kind of stuff, then I would probably suggest seven instead of six. If they re- really like traditional fantasy type stuff, then I would maybe I would think about four. If they're into a, if they're maybe really, if they really liked sort of cartoons and sort of whimsical RPGs that I, that you would maybe like assign sort of anime stuff to nowadays, like a, like an Inokuni or a Tales of, then maybe I would suggest nine to them. And, uh, if they just, if they a hundred percent just like the characters and dialogue and watching people interact, I would probably suggest six before any of the other games. So I think it, they, we know that these games are good and that there are really positive experiences to be found in most of them. But for someone that wasn't into that sort of retro game and trying to pull them into it, I think you would have to sort of choose your argument wisely. And it could maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting because I think that you can make an argument for uh, several games depending on who that person might be and you know especially depending on their experience with the series so far. I, I'm going to throw a couple that might not be quite as intuitive um, just for the sake of argument I think. Uh, the first one you know did get mentioned earlier and I think it's nine. Um, I think that the reason that nine works so well and that so many people, I, I think if you, I think if you really push somebody on it, somebody would be more willing to call nine retro than they would seven or eight. Yeah. Because of that final, yeah. that fantasy setting. Um, but it's also in a lot of ways by far the most technologically advanced of the PlayStation era games. So it's closer to ten in timber in the technological sense than it is seven or eight. But in a lot of ways, it also harkens back far closer to the original six games than anything else. Which, you know, that was part of Square's point in doing it in the first place. So they hit that target, as we all well know. Um, I think that is a neat bridge game, because you can then give that game to say somebody and say, okay, you've got two paths you can follow here. We've got some more uh, technologically advanced storylines that follow this same kind of look and gameplay feel, or we've got these more steampunky fantasy storylines that look a little bit different. And they're both good, and you should try both and see what you think. Um, One thing, though, that I think makes these re- these uh, the older Final Fantasy games a harder sell, uh, aside from the fact that they don't have modern design sensibilities that guide you along much more easily, is these are games are all a long time investment, and mm-hmm. as I get older, I am increasingly shying away from games that I know will take eighty hours. And I, I'm sort of breaking my own rule there right now by playing Bravely Default, which is by all accounts a fifty plus hour game. But it's if you if you go up to someone and try to sell them on Final Fantasy VII, you'll be like, oh, this game's great. Sure, it was made it was made seventeen years ago and takes forty five hours, but it's totally worth it. And yeah, everything looks like ugly triangles, but trust me on this one. 
Uh, actually, saying that um, reinforces the other game that I was going to throw out here, and this one's going to be uh, more controversial, especially if Neil listens to the podcast at some point. Before, before you do, just to bring <sighs> oh. back to nine, just just to try and get my point in vaguely on topic. Um, no. What you just yeah. What you just said about Nine, um, and obviously it, it harkening back to the earlier ones quite deliberately, I think as you were saying that, dawned on me even more, and from the British uh, perspective is where I'm going to weigh in with this, um, because of the way they were released to us in the UK. I mean, personally, and at the time of the reviews, it was all over the place when Nine was out and Nine was being reviewed that it's, oh, it's like the older games, oh, it's harkening back to the traditional designs and the traditional graphics, etc., etc. So yeah, they really did play on it. But then, what they also went and did, if I'm remembering my release chronology correctly, is in the UK, we got 7, 8, 9, and then from 9, we then got 6, and 4 and 5 released as an anthology together, before we got 10. They've obviously decided that that was a clear um, marketing decision, following on from your point about Nine hearkening back to those themes and styles. They obviously tried to capitalise on that very much in our market by then giving us access to those games straight after teasing us with Nine. And it worked very well. It certainly worked for me because I snapped them up straight away. Whether I would have snapped them up straight away had Nine followed Seven and Eight's futuristic themes, I guess I'll never know. I personally probably would, but I think they probably did manage to actually tap quite a few people into the older games by making Nine similar to that, and perhaps had Nine been futuristic, they they wouldn't have succeeded as well. Yeah, that that might make sense. Uh, I've never thought about it from that perspective, obviously, for the reasons that I live in America, but that, that could well have worked. Um... The other game that I was going to throw out there, and again, it may well prove to be confident, confidential? No, Josh, you're an idiot. Uh, it may well prove to be controversial, is uh, Final Fantasy IV in 3D. Huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't find that controversial at all. In fact, I, I would... would uh... I, I would recommend the PSP version before the DS version, because I have weird specific problems with the DS version, but uh, maybe I'm the weird one here. Uh, yeah, and I have not actually had an opportunity to try it on PSP. Uh, oh, oh, it looks nor, beautiful. Nor on iOS in 3D, um, or, you know, other mobile platforms, obviously. But uh, I, I think the reason that works, and it may work even more than 9, is because of all the stuff that we've just been talking about. It has the uh, obvious retro charm, because it is a, you know, 20-plus-year-old game now um, in its original Incarnation, and it has the fantasy thematics, and it has the more modern um, 3D modeling. Even though it's not to the level of a current gen game, it's you know it's on par or beyond Final Fantasy VII and VIII. Um, but it also has that benefit that you just mentioned, Laz, of not being nearly as long. You can. That's true, yeah. The you know the sprite-based versions of Final Fantasy IV, if you really want to, you can get through them pretty easily in twelve to fourteen hours. I would say yes, that but twenty that, is probably more likely, and maybe even a bit more than that for the three D version. It's it's like it's fourteen hours if you know where to go already. But there's um, but a new player wouldn't know to visit Teroria when they're looking for the Earth Crystal and do things in a certain order because it's there's it doesn't have that handholdiness that modern RPGs have. But yeah. so I. 
but, but, but even but, so, but, um, but yeah, even so, it's considerably shorter than a Final Fantasy X or yes. a Final Fantasy thirteen. That is true. I think uh, the remakes that Square does make come at just the right time. Um, you know, people always give Nintendo a lot of crap because oh, they're always rehashing games and doing these re-releases, but um, you know, they do it to scoop in a bigger audience. Uh, as much as I love the classic Final Fantasies, I find it very hard to go back and play Final Fantasy 1 on the N- Nintendo because it's so clunky. The first time I actually got motivated to beat it was on the GBA remake, um, 1 and 2 over the Dawn of Souls. Um, yeah. it, you know, they, they, they present it in a much more approachable way, uh, a little bit more forgiving. Um, but Final Fantasy IV DS, on the other hand, is very, very difficult uh, compared to uh, even Final Fantasy IV Hard Type. Um, you know, there there would be times I have to shut that game off and walk away because I'd be so frustrated. Um, but it's also very rewarding in the end. Um, I I really do like the remake, um, but I would not suggest that 3D remake for someone I'm just trying to get into. Final Fantasy IV, I would have them sit down and play the sprite-based version first just because of the difficulty that can ramp up really quickly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good argument to make as well, and the, the Dawn of Souls games do work well for that, uh, and by extension, the uh, PSP versions as well, because they do have that much lower difficulty than the original of those. That was a very well articulated sentence, Josh. It was, Josh. Um, Josh. Well, I don't think that people should consider anything newer than 7 to be retro, if you ask me. I think we're all kind of on the same page of that. People are going to. And as elder statesmen, and for all you young whippersnappers out there, it is our job to show you the error of your ways. You've probably already seen the error of your ways if you're listening to the concast, um, <laughs> or even visiting con. You probably already know better than this. But that makes it your responsibility, too, to educate people. If people think Final Fantasy XIII is stupid, make them play an older game. If people are tired of the bro gaming that has kind of taken center stage on, uh, you know, public perception of video games, you know, there's still some of us nerds out there. You're going to eat your words when Final Fantasy XV is an FPS. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we all have it within us to communicate with gamers that don't necessarily agree with us on this score. And that's great. Um, Hopefully they have the ability to communicate with us as well. And I guess that's a little zen for you today. Uh, Hey, we're a little rickety. We haven't done this in a while. But if you downloaded this, we very much thank you for sticking with us in the something like eight weeks it took us to get another one of these out to you. And, uh, yeah, we hope that you'll keep coming back. We're still doing better than George R.R. R. Martin. Yes, but, you know, I was I was going to make a joke about gratuitous nudity. And I, I decided that I really, really didn't want to. I mean, his pace is, what, five episodes in 15 years? So I think I think we're doing all right. All right, guys. I thank like... you very much for uh, taking the time today. I appreciate it. Not it's always problem. hard to get back to it after uh, a hiatus. So we'll see what we can do about that. Goodbye, listeners, if you exist. Fairly well. Ciao.
No, Laz, you beatboxing is not how we go out of a concast. There we go, that's how we go out of a concast, with a nice retro tune, like the main theme from Final Fantasy 1. Thanks for rejoining us for the concast. We're Caves of Narsh at cavesofnarsh.com, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and various other social media sites. Thanks a lot again for listening, and have a good night.